As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Listen up. I won't sugarcoat it. This is the longest cold flu and allergy season we've ever seen, but we're not alone. We've got Instacart. Sure, you may be a coughing snot faucet who just wants mommy, but you're not giving up. Not when cold medicine, fragrant herbal teas, and honey shaped like bears can be delivered through Instacart in as fast as 30 minutes. Now let's go win the sick playoffs! Daddy, I just want my soup. Oh, sorry, Sport App says it'll be here in, in a few minutes. <laughs> Instacart for the win. Hi everyone, I'm David Garrido. Welcome along to this La Liga Lowdown mini pod. It is oh, the final one of the 2018-19 season. Um, it's a pod of two halves as always. Later on we're going to be speaking to Ewan McTeer doing our teams of the season but with one rule which is that you can only have one player maximum for each team and we'll look at the uh, managerial changes since our last podcast as well. Um, but first we have a very important match to review. The Copa del Rey final on Saturday night at the Estadio Benito Villamarín in Seville. Um, so on the line, we've got uh, Paco Polit, uh, who at the time of recording has made his way from Seville, uh, having covered the game for La Liga Lowdown, uh, been on a, a mad road trip. Hi there, Paco. How are you doing? Hi, David. Well, I'm, I'm doing pretty well, although a bit hoarse, as you can listen to my voice, which is <laughs> usually pretty fine, but not today. Um, but extremely happy for Valencia, for the fans, and also very happy about the way the um, coverage of La Liga Lowdown went down because it was a way of trying to get our followers involved from the inside in a super event such as the one we lived on, on the last weekend. Yeah, I mean, it was above and beyond. Very well done. Um, and also, um, I would expect nothing less than you to be hoarse right now. Um, a, a man who perhaps his voice is in better condition, but maybe his heart isn't. Uh, Roman de Arquette in Barcelona. How are you doing, Roman? Hi, David. Well, of course, I'm not as happy, but um, I have to say, after the blow in Liverpool, this doesn't feel as bad, I might say. But I would like to congratulate Paco and all the Valencia fans because uh, they wanted this trophy more than anyone and I think they deserved it. That's very good of you. Listen, just to make things clear, obviously people know of our affiliations. Um, There's not going to be a ganging up exercise on Roman. Let's make that clear right, right from the <laughs> not start. Not at all. Um, but I will go over the incidents of the game before we uh, hear from back on Roman. So the final score, obviously uh, Barcelona 1, Valencia 2. Uh, Valencia taking the lead on 21 minutes with, with a classy goal. Um, Gabriel's lofted crossfield ball to Jose Gaya, who then centred for Kevin Gamero. He in turn nipped the ball away uh, from Jordi Alba, fired past Jasper Sillison, and then just 11 minutes later, Francis Coquelin, what a game he had, by the way, uh, sent Carlos Soler away down the right, in behind Jordi Alba. Uh, well, Carlos Soler won that foot race. He got to the byline. He fisted in across for Rodrigo's ahead in from close range. And crucially, Jaume Dominic made excellent saves from Lionel Messi and Ivan Rakitic just before the break. So, nil two at halftime. Then, the halftime substitutions did make an impact for Barcelona. Arturo Vidal came on for Artur. Uh, in particular, Malcolm on for Nelson Semedo at the start of the second half. Uh, Messi linked up with Malcolm, then Riggle through before dinking an effort against the post Vidal sky the rebound over the bar uh, Malcolm a constant threat down the right he sent it for Gerard Piquet to shoot just wide he can sense the momentum uh, was with Barcelona they did eventually get a goal back it came on 74 minutes uh, Clement Longley header from a corner saved by Dominic but Messi was quickest to react he tapped in the rebound and the last 50 minutes well they were all Barca backs against the wall stuff from Valencia uh, even though they did have two absolutely golden chances in stoppage time to seal the deal both from Gonzalo Guedes the first at a one-on-one one with Sillison, he skewed it wide and then with the keeper up for a corner well Gilles had an empty net to aim for but again uh, he missed but 
in any case, Valencia held out for the win. It's their first trophy in 11 years in their centenary season. Uh, Barca miss out on the double, so they have to settle for one piece of silverware, which is, of course, the La Liga trophy. Um, Paco, to you first. Um, you've been on this mad road trip to Seville, as we've been saying. Uh, just give us an idea of the atmosphere in the city of Seville, in the build-up. What signs did you detect that, that a result like this could be on the cards? Well, um, I have to say that they, there was superiority by Valencia on, on the atmosphere previous to the game. Uh, around 25k uh, followers and fans who were able to make it to Sevilla and support the team, not only throughout the game, but also before, uh, on the night before. Sevilla was a, a, a party. It was very similar to Fayas. And uh, before the game, uh, we saw fans chanting, celebrating, drinking a lot um, with fireworks. By the way, the police had said that they were uh, banned, but, you know, it's impossible to stop Valencianos from um, enjoying their fireworks. So at the end of the day, I think that uh, you could see the difference between Barca fans and Valencia fans in the sense that they were more hungry and they wanted La Copa more. Yeah, so the superiority in the stands then really made its presence felt on that pitch at the Benito Marin. Obviously, um, in terms of team selection, perhaps a little worry for Valencia fans when they saw Jeffrey Kondogbia only on the bench, but Francis Coquelin starting in his place. That seemed to work out wonderfully well. But Roman for Barcelona, uh, what did Ernesto Valverde's team selection tell you? How concerned were you to see some of the names that were in that Barcelona starting eleven? Well, with all the debate there's been lately whether Valverde should continue or not because they've been criticising the way Barca are playing, the, the reason why they lost against Liverpool and all that, um, Valverde went for something to kind of uh, shut up those people who were complaining about the start and he chose Artur, he chose Sergio Roberto instead of players like Arturo Vidal. He wanted to base his team on creativeness, on passing the ball, moving it around and so unfortunately it didn't work out as planned, it has to be said. It's interesting, isn't it, in terms of the, the team selections that Marcelino decided not to go with Kondogbia, who obviously was coming back from an injury, wasn't 100%. But Valverde chose to go with those players who maybe were a bit tocados, a little bit affected, a little bit uh, injured. Um, Baco, for the goals, uh, they were created down the flanks for Valencia. Um, so Jose Gaya on the one side for Gamero's goal and then Carlos Soler with a brilliant run down the right for Rodrigo's goal. How does that compare to sort of peak Valencia 2017-18 when they were doing that for fun week in, week out? Well, I believe that both goals show the strengths of a team who always believed in themselves throughout the season, even though it was clear on the beginning that they weren't on the top form. Um, the first goal was brilliant in the way uh, Jose Gaya was able to pull off the run on the left wing and the way he uh, got his head up and was able to see and try to find the best solution to that play. And regarding the second goal, I believe that Carlos Soler being able to outrun and outpace Jordi Alba was one of the biggest moments of the night because Jordi Alba is usually perceived as one of the quickest defenders in La Liga and he's able most of the time to um, run more than the opposition but in this case Carlos Soler was brilliant in the way he managed to outpace Jordi Alba and also his cross straight to Rodrigo's head uh, it showed that both players uh, in their uh, quality of uh, Valencia youth players coming straight from the bottom climbing to the top and they have been able to perform brilliantly in Valencia's biggest game of the season and that quality that identity was a key factor in the game against Barca I wonder also uh, how much arriving at this game in as peak a condition as you possibly could has to do with it. I mean, you know, Valencia have played over 60 games this season, but Marcelino is obsessed with the players' weight, with their diet. And what seemed to struggle earlier on in the season, it feels like actually this momentum that they had going into this final game of the season was also partly, at least, down uh, to fitness. But, but what about Barcelona? I mean, Roman, they, they really didn't seem at the races. They, they didn't seem to have any of their usual mojo. Why was that? What was missing from their play in that first half? Well, I think what was mainly missing was certainly depth. Uh, all the passes Barca were making were practically horizontal. It was going from the midfielder to Jordi Alba, back to the midfielder, to the other midfielder, and then to Semedo. It was just going from one side to the other. And that's what exactly what Valencia wanted, for Barca to pass it around, to, find, to not to find spaces, and just uh, waste their chances. Some crosses would come in, but they weren't really dangerous. So it was quite disappointing, and it, it seemed like they weren't interested. It's also, I suppose, a little bit to do with that word that we mentioned earlier in the season, which is verticalidad, this sort of directness. 
that is what happened when Malcolm came on. He really added a new dimension, didn't he, Roman? Yeah, exactly. Um, the depth I mentioned before, I think Malcolm was capable of finding it. I'm sure Valverde told him, like, um, go for Gaia, face him one-on-one, -on -one, try and get past him. And he actually did it quite a few times. He got a few crosses in, but it wasn't just crosses. He also got really smart through balls into the box for players like Messi, Rakitic, Arturo Vidal, which were running in and trying to finish off those chances. So he was definitely the offensive boost Barca needed in that second half. And it has to be said, he was, he was great. He was, if not the best, one of the best of Barcelona uh, in the game. And then, of course, uh, came Messi's goal. And Valencia, uh, at that point, made two very defensive substitutions. Parejo was already off the pitch, having been injured, uh, and uh, Condogbia was on. But then Piccini on for Gamero, Diacabi on for Rodrigo. Uh, Paco, you were there in the stadium. How nervy were those moments? Uh, and, in fact, how risky a move was that from Marcelino, trying to see out the result in 90 minutes when there was a distinct possibility of extra time? Yeah, but at the same time, you could see that the team was at their uh, peak form and they were already going down. Uh, they were extremely tired. Remember that Valencia were playing their 61st game of the season. And, and that's why uh, Valencia had to introduce more defensive players, uh, mainly because they needed to get hold of the ball and be able to try to control the pace of the game for a bit. And unfortunately, they didn't have their best player Dani Parejo on the pitch to do that. So, Condobia did an excellent job right next to uh, Francis Coughlin. You highlighted him earlier. He was massive in the midfield yesterday because at the end of the day, you need that kind of drive. You need that kind of pressure on top of the players. And that's why Diakabi came in. They uh, subbed in a player who is very tall and is able to clear uh, lofted balls and crosses. And that's why Diakabi was able to help quite a lot in the last few minutes when, remember, Gerard Piquet was already playing as a forward. Uh, Roman, I don't know how much you've been monitoring social media, apart from our own Twitter, of course, at La Liga Lowdown, but <laughs> one that really strikes me is a little passage of play where Francis Coquelin is literally herring around like you know a, a crazed dog after Lionel Messi and, and making sure that he doesn't get any space, not a moment of freedom. And the, I think the message uh, that was posted along with this video was, show me a defensive midfielder who can do this. Now, what about Lionel Messi? Because he did score uh, in a sixth Copper final, but how do you value his contribution aside that? Well, I actually felt that during the game, Messi was very alone. I think he really missed his partner in crime, Luis Suarez, because we know how both of them work really well together on the field. They connect really well. And Messi was lacking that companion up front. I mean, Coutinho just isn't that guy, you know? And uh, so Messi was kind of trying to do everything on his own, trying to get past players on his own, trying to um, create the chances on his own. And it just wasn't working out. So it was quite tough for him. Martellino had it planned out really well. But it also has to be said, I still think Messi isn't um, emotionally at 100%. He's still recovering from that um, defeat against Liverpool. And I expected not to see his best version, even though he showed up, he scored the goal, and he was one of Barca's most important guys to trying to recover from that 2-0 down score. Yeah, I think it, it, the signs were there, weren't there, uh, in the pre-match news conferences when he was talking about uh, that night at Anfield. And uh, you just sensed that it was something that Barcelona hadn't, dealt with properly yet and it kind of came back to haunt them a little bit in terms of their the general sort of estado anímico their general kind of mood ahead of this game and um, what about the other number 10 Paco Dani Parejo tell us about his performance tell us about his interview after the game and also just his, his season overall well, you only have to see the first half to perceive just how important that guy is for Valencia and also for the uh, whole fan base because he has become uh, a leader throughout this season. Some of the fans were critical of him and, and were nasty even in prior seasons due to his performance and perceived lack of commitment to, to the team. But he has shown this season in spades that he's not only Valencia's most important player uh, who is able to run the show in the midfield, but he's also their leader, their heart. I believe this has been the season where Dani Parejo has finally had the jump in quality and also in relevance inside the team and inside the club. And I think that uh, watching him last night in that super picture at the end of the night, seizing the cup, celebrating, even though he was injured at that point, I believe it was a fitting end of season for him and also a fitting end of season for a team who have suffered quite a lot when things didn't go as expected at the beginning of the season. 
Yeah, it's the word that I think I've heard the most this season in terms of Valencia and, and that Primera Vuelta, that first sort of round of matches. Sufrido, it was, it was a tough, tough first half of the season. And tell us a little bit about the, the scenes of celebration in Sevilla, uh, not just in the stadium, but also the, the city itself. And also what you're hearing from, from back home in Valencia, where you're headed now, Paco. Well, it was absolutely crazy the way the people uh, were jumping, shouting, crying right next to their parents, their fathers, their grandparents, their children. Uh, Chaume Domenech, there was an iconic picture when he was able to climb the post on top of the goal and he was copying and imitating a very well-known historical picture from a goalie named Kike. We're talking about the 1950s here. Parejo got on the mic, José Luis Gallá got on the mic, Marcelino got on the mic and he started rallying the crowd and he got tackled by the way in a challenge by Gabriel Paulista uh, and he was almost uh, dismantled uh, because he went straight down. Uh, there's an obviously uh, amazing connection between uh, him and his players. And that's one of the crucial aspects this season. He has been able to keep the confidence even in moments when most teams and most locker rooms would have given up on their coach. But Marcelino made them believe. And at the end of the day, I think that Copa del Rey has given Valencia the biggest uh, amount of hope and the biggest uh, amount of happiness that any other trophy would have given them. Okay, um, two sides to every story, obviously. Um, Roman, so you have a season here where up until the last four games, Barcelona are on for the treble. They end up with just that one piece of silverware, uh, the La Liga trophy. So, so where does this leave Ernesto Valverde? Is a one-trophy season necessarily a failure? And, and he's got, well, at least in the immediate aftermath of the game, the support of his president, Josep Maria Bartomeu. But how do you read this situation right now in terms of his future? Well, I want to point out that winning a La Liga title is never a failure. I mean, it's such a tough competition, 38 games, you have to be regular, you have to win a lot of matches, you have strong rivals like Barca, like Madrid, like Valencia, like Sevilla, etc., who can always take points away, so that's a really good title to have. I mean, we can't complain about that, but it has to be said, right after winning the title, two blows for Valverde, two really tough results, Liverpool, now Valencia. The fans in, in Catalonia just seem to want more than just La Liga. They really wanted the Champions League because Messi really set the bar high at the beginning of the season saying they were going to try and win the Champions League. And not winning it in the end after those words from Messi just feels like something is missing. So I think Valverde now is in a very delicate position. And I think Bartomeu might have to swallow his words after ratifying that he wanted Valverde to stay next season. So in your mind, does he have to go? Personally, I think he does have to go. I know a lot of people won't agree with me, but I just think Barca needs something else. I just don't... The way they've been playing, So I've watched basically all the games and lots of these games are just so boring, I could say. There's, there's a lack of, of creativity, there's a lack of depth, there's a lack of uh, verticality you mentioned before. So I think another manager might have to come in and try and solve these problems for the club. May I add something on that? Go for it. Um, I have to talk and have high praise of Ernesto Valverde because I've had uh, been lucky enough to uh, know him when he was Valencia's coach and if the next Barca manager is Ronald Koeman, one of the names in the cards. I hope not. I, I have to talk again and have high praise of Valverde in relation to Ronald Koeman because both of them have trained and coached Valencia and whereas I believe uh, Ernesto Valverde is a pro at uh, absolutely everything and yeah the season has been disappointing for Barca but I think he has managed the team pretty well since he is there on the other hand I believe Ronald Koeman would be an absolute mess at Barca I agree with you because the the hopes would be uh, skyrocketing high and I've seen him training I've seen him managing 10 years ago 11 years ago here in, in Valencia and even though he was able to win the last Copa del Rey trophy uh, when he was at the bench um, it wasn't really him the players were the ones to do the tactics in the final against Getafe the players were the ones to, to win those games in the semi-finals and, and quarter-finals against Atletico de Madrid and Barca so um, maybe Roman would think twice if the <laughs> one to come later is Ronald Koeman because seriously guys I don't believe he is the guy for the job OK, but the players have to take responsibility here, don't they? So who do you think has failed here? Who has been below par? And actually also, who has been maybe 
a little bit hard done by, given too much harsh treatment by the fans? Well, I think there's just so many decisions to make right now for Barcelona. There's a lot to think about. But it's true that apart from the manager, they have to work in other aspects. Like, for example, they need to bring another striker because Luis Suarez just can't do everything on his own. He's, he's getting older, it has to be said, and he's getting a bit slower. And I mean, he's still a great striker. He's still one of the best, but he needs guys to give him a rest. And also another thing we have to talk about is Coutinho's future. What's going to happen with Coutinho? Is he going to stay another year? Are they going to sell him? I mean, his performance has been definitely under what we all expected, especially with the price tag that came with him. I, I'm usually very patient with players. I think you have to give them time to adapt, to, to learn the philosophy of the club, the style. But it's been over a season and he's been going from bad to worse. So, I mean, at some point they're going to have to take a decision on him too. Paco, do you think that there is a problem higher up with Barcelona? Not just manager, not just playing staff, but also sporting directors and indeed the president. I mean, is that an area which needs to be looked at as well from the outside looking at Barcelona? Absolutely. And I, and I think that not only this season, but I've been thinking that for a while already. Um, I think Bartomeu and his board have been very lucky that they have both Leo Messi on the pitch and Ernesto Valverde on the press room and on the bench because they have been firefighters for them. They have been able to suffocate any uh, amount of trouble that came their way and that allowed both the president and the board to remain relatively uh, safe and quiet from criticism. But at the same time, you have to see the signings that Barca have made in the last few years. A few exceptions, for example, Arthur Melo, I believe he's a brilliant player and he's going to be one of Barca's most important midfielders in, in the next uh, three or four seasons. Um, most of them have been failures. Most of them haven't performed that well. And uh, the price tag that came along with them was pretty hefty. So I think that talking about potential new managers or talking about Ernesto Valverde uh, next season is only a way to deflect that maybe some of the fans uh, start uh, turning around and looking at the president and their board because their job in their area has been severely lacking. Roman, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, yeah, I mean, I agree, absolutely. I think I've never really liked Bartomeu, to be honest. I mean, he, he seems like a very nice guy, but when it comes to making decisions, he, he always tends to cover things up with massive signings and, and spending a lot of money. I remember when the elections came, he got really lucky because in the end, Luis Enrique won the, the treble when Barca before that were through a very delicate situation, but the treble just kind of covered up all, all the mistakes he made, all the messes. And now it seems like it's happening. When Neymar left, he just spends the money, brings Coutinho, brings Dembele. And I'm sure it's going to happen again this summer. I mean, he's going to spend a lot of money. He's just going to cover up all the problems. And Paco is right. And we have to look up uh, as Barca fans and be critical towards the president and the board. We have to a fair bit on, on Barcelona here. Uh, we must obviously you know, mention once again that it was a very significant win for Valencia. Um, Paco, on that sense... Remember the last time that Valencia won the Copa del Rey in the last century, that was 1999. And then what followed was a period of, of real sort of pride and glory for the club uh, with the two Champions League finals, the two league titles, the UEFA Cup. Do you get any kind of sense at all, if you sort of gaze into your crystal ball here, that this could be the start of a new era for Valencia? You see, the only thing that makes me hopeful that that could eventually happen is the fact that there is someone uh, like Matteo Aleman calling the shots because that guy has been responsible for most of the success this season when Marcelino was highly in question and many fans and also many members of the press, they wanted him out. And Matteo Aleman was able to resist the urge of sacking his manager, which is one of the first things that any executive does when he senses the peril. Okay, and and he remained uh, strong. He strengthened the the position of his of his manager, and having that kind of executive person calling the shots and making decisions and being smart and being patient, uh, I think that maybe the decision making process here in Valencia will be key to keep that uh, successful string of wins. Because uh, being impatient and jumping the gun and maybe kicking out the manager earlier this season would have been disastrous for the team. Let's expect that Valencia's board keep making smart decisions based on uh, Matteo Alemán's judgment because he has shown that he knows his stuff and at the end of the day, that's the key for success. 
I think the other thing we've got to mention, guys, uh, when we think about uh, the Copa del Rey final, was it, it was a really entertaining spectacle, wasn't it? It was a really excellent game. Of course, it was uh, the chosen game for Partidas Predictions because it was the only game. <laughs> um, <laughs> and once again, oh, look what happened. <laughs> and uh, the screen grab is uh, proudly on Paco's Twitter feed if you want to have a look at it. Um, yes, Paco got it spot on again. Uh, by saying that Valencia would win by two goals to one. And so the final standings are as follows. Paco has 36 points. Roman, you are outright second on 18. Ewan uh, McTears on 17 and myself and Alex Johnson both on 16 points. So Paco, you were double your nearest challenger. Any sort of words of uh, acceptance <laughs> of this you know, title win? Anything you want to say? Well, I have to admit that um, I had several doubts on my prediction in this case and I actually expressed them on the video um, because who knows uh, football can be great sometimes and even though the odds can be against you and even though Barca were favourites who knows what may happen in, in a wild night of football and that's what at the end of the day happened um, I had my fair share of fights with my girlfriend this season because she <laughs> consistently saw how I nailed the predictions and she wanted me to play some low or some <laughs> Powerball or whatever stuff because she wants us to be rich as everyone wants to be. But at the end of the day, my luck predicting games is not the same one as my luck when buying some Powerball tickets or, or whatever. So, well, I'm happy to, to have been right in this one. Um, but at the end of the day, the, the real prize here, uh, regardless of, of being first in the, in, the, in the standings, was seeing the people's faces. It was really, really exciting, really, really emotional. Um, you know, seeing fellow Valencianos crying around you, at the end of the day, it gets you. You get emotional at the same time. And, and that was a, the real uh, giveaway of, of this weekend, uh, regardless of, yeah, well, doubling the second one in, in the line. I guess that, that is also fine. See, the other thing I was going to mention, again, on, on Paco's Twitter feed, you, you will have seen this uh, if, you, if you follow Paco, you follow La Liga Lowdown, um, is that along with the Partidaso Predictions trophy, which is, of course, utterly made up, it's not an actual trophy, but he wins the competition. <laughs> along unfortunately. With that, unfortunately. Uh, yeah, not enough cash in the bank for that yet. Um, but along with that Partidaso Predictions title, he actually got his hands on the Copa del Rey itself as well, which is uh, quite a special thing. Um, and I think, you know, do you know what? I think you've summed it up brilliantly there, Paco. Um, this is what football does to people, isn't it? That's why we all do it. That's why we're all involved in football in one way or another. And that's why we're all part of La Liga Lowdown. But guys, listen, I mean... Uh, finally just to say thank you so much for your contribution not just to this podcast but but also your fantastic work um over the season um hope you have a good summer I'm, I'm sure we'll be in touch so thank you so much really really appreciate it to both of you thank you guys too it's been a pleasure um doing all these podcasts talking about football all the time and they say it's only football you know and in the end it's it's much more than that and and the proof of that was was the game last night it's Paco's words and and football is such a such a big and important game for so many of us and in my case, obviously, thanking Roman because he has been an excellent sport after uh, after the game. Um, I have to say, first of all, that the Copa del Rey trophy is very heavy. It's much <laughs> heavier than what you can see on TV. And at the same time, yeah, again, football is not just a sport. Not in La Liga Lodan, of course, in the way we try to go live through the events and, and try to explain to La Liga aficionados and followers that Spanish football is much more than the games we have the culture we have the fans we have the, those little nitpicks you know from every single fan base and these kinds of experiences are incredibly amazing to share with uh, other followers and especially with uh, fellow journalists such as you guys well, on that note, we're going to take a quick break. Yes, we're not done yet. That's just part one of this La Liga Lowdown mini pod. Uh, stick around because in part two, we're talking to Ewan McTeer with more end of season reflections and our teams of the season. See you in a couple of ticks. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. 
Listen up. I won't sugarcoat it. This is the longest cold flu and allergy season we've ever seen, but we're not alone. We've got Instacart. Sure, you may be a coughing snot faucet who just wants mommy, but you're not giving up! Not when cold medicine, fragrant herbal teas, and honey shaped like bears can be delivered through Instacart in as fast as 30 minutes! Now let's go win the sick playoffs! Daddy, I just want my soup. Oh, sorry, Sport App says it'll be here in, in a few minutes. <laughs> Instacart for the win. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Welcome back to this La Liga Lowdown mini pod with Reyes Tukhanov. It's time to head to the Spanish capital uh, to speak to Ewan McTier and round things up properly for 2018-19. Are you and how are you doing? Have you managed to recover from the Copa del Rey final? Yeah, all good. And yeah, just like I imagine many other folks in Madrid are after Barcelona's cup final loss. It's a good Sunday for many. Yes, I guess it probably is. Uh, in terms of the final itself, and we've obviously talked at length with um, Roman and Baco in, in part one, but, but from your point of view, what was the sort of determining factor ultimately in Valencia's win? I think it was Valencia's defence. I mean, for a while now, they've been a team that's just really hard to beat. They had the third fewest losses in La Liga, the second best defence. They're a team that's just really hard to break down. And I think that lends itself to knockout football. They obviously did well enough to take their chances, or enough of them, in the first half. But the defensive effort from Garay and Gabriel in the second half was absolutely excellent. And Coquelin as well, I think he mm. added his value. Uh, he was one of those players that maybe when he was signed by Valencia, certainly from an Arsenal fan's perspective, someone who'd been at the club for a long time but hadn't really pulled up many trees. But this was you know, perhaps his best performance almost in a Valencia shirt, wasn't it? Definitely. I was a little bit surprised that Condogbia didn't start ahead of him. Um, as much as Coquelin has been decent in the last few weeks after coming back from so many injuries, he's generally been the backup to Condogbia and Parejo in the in the engine room. But he was given a chance and obviously Marcelino uh, sees him up close every day and thought he could do a job against Messi in that Barcelona midfield. And he definitely did that. And it caps off a, a wonderful Second half of the season, it's been some turnaround. I guess, though, the question is, where are we at with Valencia and how far can they go after this? So here we are in 2019. They win the Copa again after a long period without trophies. So uh, do you sense that there is the chance of a legacy that could be built here? There is a chance. I don't look so much to, to what happened back at the turn of the century because the football landscape has totally changed since then. Money is even more of a factor now than it was then. And Real Madrid and Barcelona... They're just in different stratospheres, as are many other clubs in Europe. But if you look at what happened with Atletico Madrid in 2013, their cup final victory was a catalyst for something special. And that victory really sort of changed their mentality at the club into a winning one. And I think that could be the case at Valencia. Will it be enough to compete for a league title or to reach a, a Champions League title? I don't know. I think money still talks at the end of the day in the gap between Valencia, who earned less TV money last year than Huddersfield did in the Premier League. The gap <laughs> yeah. between them and the giants of Spain and Europe is still huge. Yeah. Um, let's just sort of focus a little bit on Barcelona. We did this a fair bit in the first part of the pod, but obviously a lot of food for thought this summer. I mean, the last four games, that's where their season effectively collapsed from three trophies to, to just the one. Is that enough to convince the powers that be that it's time to get rid of Ernesto Valverde there? Because, well, he's got Bartomeu support at least verbally right now. And also in terms of squad restructuring, what is necessary for Barcelona? How much do they need to do? Well, I don't think they can or should get rid of Valverde right now. They weren't planning to sack him a few weeks ago, so a couple of bad results shouldn't change that plan, especially because it's just too late now to find a replacement. At these super clubs, you really need to be hiring your next coach in the springtime. If you're left scrambling around in June for whatever coach is left in the shelf, then you're in a bad spot. And I know Kiki Setien is available, but come on, let's not pretend he's at that level just yet. So I think they do have to stick with Valverde. And with the squad, they just need youth. They just, so many players just look too old. I mean, Busquets, uh, Jordi Alba, I think the only one of the, and they have many players over 30, I think the only ones 
who still look like they can they can do it are Messi and Pique. They both had maybe their best seasons in a long time. But so many of the other players who are getting around that 30 years old mark or past it, they just look too old and they need some youth. And I think they'll get that in the summer. They've already got De Jong and we'll see who else they bring in that's young and fresh and able to run for the whole 90 minutes. OK, uh, interesting summer ahead then at Barcelona. And, and also at Real Madrid. Um, very hard to predict what's going to happen at the Bernabeu, of course, but... Obviously, the, the main kind of talking point is this slightly awkward dance. Well, I say slightly, completely awkward dance with, with Gareth Bale. Is that going to go on? How toxic could that become in terms of just the dressing room as a whole if this isn't in any way amicably resolved? Yeah, it's, it's very awkward. I think if Gareth Bale was on Strictly Come Dancing, it might be less awkward than what we're going to see over the <laughs> over the next few weeks. Yeah, I think it will be very toxic and I think it will go on. And you're right, it's a complicated situation. He doesn't really want to leave and he seems happy to remain at the club, earning his 17 million euros per season, even if he isn't playing. And, and that's his right. There's a contract. Too often clubs are giving out contracts with the assumption that if there's a need to move a player on, it's just assumed that the player will accept to move to whatever club has the highest bid. But I think Bale's about to prove that it's not always so simple. This could be the kind of case that we study in textbooks in years to come when talking about player power and the football labour market. So stay tuned to this one. Mm. And with Atletico, when you think about the Barcelona team that we've seen this season and the Real Madrid team that we've seen this season and, and how they've done, how much of a, a missed opportunity was 2018-19 for them? I think when you look at the points total that Barcelona won the league with, I think 87 points, that's something that Atletico could have matched, could have surpassed. And yeah, I think this is a little bit of a, a missed opportunity. You look at the Champions League and we've seen a lot of big teams uh, fall out when they weren't expected to. If Atletico had just got past Juventus, maybe they could have gone on the run. Even in the Copa del Rey, to go out against Girona in just the second round that they took part in, that was a big disappointment. And I think questions have to be asked about the decision not to play Jan Oblak in that competition. I know you want to keep Adan happy, but if you're really wanting to win trophies like the Copa del Rey, which Atletico should very much be trying to do, you've got to play your best goalkeeper and not concede four goals in a tie against Girona. So yeah, there's a lot of missed opportunities there for Atletico and it could be a while again before they have uh, opportunities as good as they did this year. And what about next season for Atletico Madrid? Because, of course, they've lost many of the players that were responsible for the rise and rise uh, over the first part of, of this decade. Diego Godin, uh, Juan Fran, uh, Lucas Hernandez. So big, big losses in defence. Maybe Felipe Luis as well. Antoine Griezmann says that he's played his last game for Atletico. Uh, so, so do you sense it will be a, a season of transition for them? I really don't think they can challenge next year, at least not for the league title or the Champions League. Every year I am confident they'll be in the mix because they have Diego Simeone but this year there's just too many departures and I think the goal for next season has to be finishing in the top three just cementing that position as one of the big three in Spain especially with a resurgent Valencia in the rear view mirror top three has to be the challenge and I think they can still do that OK, let's sort of widen the discussion to the whole of La Liga, all 20 teams. Uh, we've had a fascinating 2018-19 campaign. I don't think anyone could really have necessarily predicted it would go the way that it has. Even though the cream rises to the top, you've got the same top three. You've got two of the teams who came up from Segunda going back down. Um, but what were the biggest positive surprises and also the biggest disappointments for you, Ewan? The biggest positive has to be Hitafi. I mean, relative to their budget, they're the team that overachieved the most. They had the 14th largest budget and finished fifth, which is just amazing. So uh, I'm all about Hitafi. Board last proved just what a great coach he is. So that's their season's just been off the charts. The biggest disappointment, though, I'd say is Rayo Vallecano. I know there's other candidates like Villarreal and Celta Vigo and Real Madrid and maybe half the league if I go on, but Rayo were always going to be in the discussion for relegation. But the way they approached the season was just it was just so poor. They didn't even play their usual brand of exciting attacking football and the summer planning was just so bad. I mean, Raul de Thomas was their best player by far and they didn't even get that deal over the line until the last week of August after the season had already started. And just imagine how historically bad they could have been if they'd failed to even get him. <laughs> Yes. Uh, biggest positive surprise for me, I, I hear your Hedafe. Um, I'll also chuck in the mix, maybe Espanyol. I think when we talked in our season mm -hmm. preview podcast, we, we were saying we were worried a little bit about them, um, about the way that they'd strengthened. But what Iglesias proved to be a, a cracking signing. And I think, again, as you look at the Valencia case and maybe under pressure to get rid of the manager at a certain point when things aren't going well, Espanyol had that as well. They had those six defeats, um, eight defeats in nine heading into Christmas. Ruby was under pressure, but, you know, no big decisions taken there. And he managed to eventually 
eventually get them uh, back on track. It took a while, took a while, uh, last day of the season, um, but they are celebrating European football for next season. So I think I'd probably go with... with I, I think Villarreal for me are the, are the biggest disappointment. When you just look yeah, at the sheer man-for-man man quality in the squad, uh, this is a squad that really should be top six or maybe top eight, but top eight, I think minimum, when you just look at the midfielders and, and strikers in, in that squad. Um, so obviously work for um, Javi Gaya had to do uh, this summer. Um, uh, talking of managers, we've had a, a few changes. Um, Abelardo resigned uh, as manager of Alaves, uh, replaced by Asier Garitano now. Uh, did so well at Leganes, but then struggled at Real Sociedad this season. So, so what do you make of that appointment, first of all, Ewan? I really like Garitano. I think he had two problems at Real Sociedad. One was... His style of counter-attacking football didn't really suit their players or the fans' mentality. Uh, at a club as big as Real Sociedad, they expect to be taking the initiative. The other issue he had was injuries. Atletico Madrid in this season had the most injuries of anyone, but during those first few months when Gary Tano was at Real Sociedad, it was them who had the most injuries in the whole division. So with a new start at Alaves, I think he'll, I think he'll do good there. Mm, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, with Real Sociedad, uh, the likes of Yarramendi, uh, Januzai, uh, Diego Llorente, it wasn't just injuries in a lot of them, but it's a key, key player, Surutusa as well. There was experience that, that seemed to be lacking there uh, and they had to bring through younger players and they did that relatively successfully with the likes of um, Barnechea and, and Sangali coming through. Uh, but ultimately, I think, you know, he, he had a rough ride, I think it's fair to say. Um, at the time recording, vacancies in Andalusia, Kike Setien, no longer the Real Betis boss. Um, of course, Betis have had a bit of an up and down season, uh, managed to reach the knockout stage of the Europa League, semi-finals of the Copa Rey, um, uh, they did beat Barcelona and Real Madrid away in La Liga. Do you think he's been harshly treated? Is he hard done by? Not really, in my opinion. I think Setien probably did a bit enough over the two years to stay based on the results alone. A lot of people talk about how Betis were relegation contenders before he came. But at the same time as he came, they absolutely increased their budget and now have a budget where they should be competing for European football but the results were okay but his situation was more complicated than that it was his comments in the media his poor relationship with the fans the sort of boring style of pass 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 football all of that combined to mean he just had to go and, and Philip Koku uh, is a, an interesting name, which is uh, being mentioned in dispatches, potentially his successor at the uh, Benito Marine. Would that be a, a good fit, do you think? I think stylistically it could work. As much as Betis' possession football was sometimes their downfall, you can't go 180 degrees in another direction because the squad's been composed of players who suit that idea. And from what I've seen of, of Koku's PSV side, less so his friend Abachi team, because I'm not going to pretend I watch much Turkish football, but he's <laughs> only 24 like, hours in a day. You're yeah, only 24 hours. Yeah, exactly. He seems like a coach who you can appreciate retaining the ball. So that's a plus for Betis going forward. But lack of experience in La Liga in the coaching sense would would worry me. And I think Betis needs someone who really understands the league and understands how to beat the teams like Hitafe, Leganes, Alaves. These teams that they simply couldn't break down last year. Um, perhaps not surprisingly, Sevilla not keeping a Joaquin Gabarroson as their head coach. A uh, couple more potential names to fill that vacancy uh, to get your views on you and uh, Marcelo Gallardo uh, and also Julien Lopetegui. Yeah, well, let's start with Julien Lopetegui, J-Lo. Let's stop with him. We know all about him. I think that could be a good fit. The Real Madrid job was, was probably just too big for him, but we all know he can be a good manager and he did well with Spain. And to be honest, his Real Madrid side looked like there was more of a plan than the ones of Santiago Solari or Zinedine Zidane. So I'd really like to see that appointment made with Gallardo again. It's that lack of La Liga experience that worries me. But to come in having done so ridiculously well at River Plate would give him the respect of so many players. And I think he'd be able to get their attention a little more than Pavel Machin, who went to Sevilla last year with just one year in the top division under his belt. So that wouldn't be the case with Gallardo. And then... Also look out for Rudy Garcia and Jose Bardlas. They've also been mentioned on the shortlist. I don't know how attainable they would be, but yeah, Sevilla really need to get this coaching appointment right because they've had a few that haven't gone well um, basically since Unai Emery left. Okay, um, let's move on to uh, team of the season. Now, um, the, the format for this, it's not just sort of pick your best players. You can have, you know, anyone you want. We've decided to make it a little trickier. Just one player maximum per La Liga team. So essentially 11 different teams represented in this uh, 11. Uh, and what have you gone for? Okay, let's go. I've gone for a 4-4-2. Jan Oblak of Atletico Madrid and goals. Jesus Navas of Sevilla right back. Jenny and Mario Hermoso of Etafe and Espanyol at centre-back. Jonathan Silva of Leganes at left-back. Iago Aspas of Celta Vigo on the right wing. 
Danny Parejo and Joan Jordan of Valencia Neibar in central midfield, Johnny of Alaves on the left wing, Lionel Messi, of course, of Barcelona on the attack, and alongside him, Karim Benzema of Real Madrid. What do you think? Tell me where I'm mm. wrong, David. I'm, I'm, I'm interested by Jordan. I just feel that there might be other players that might take up his spot. Not saying that he's a bad player, he has had a bad season, he absolutely hasn't, but to just justify that one for me. Well, again, if you were to rank the best central midfielders, yeah, he's he might even struggle to make the top 10. But when you're picking one player per team, once you've already got all those other guys in, there's there's not too many teams left um, with candidates. I was stuck a little bit between him and Santi Cazorla. Cazorla uh, had a great season and I didn't have any Villarreal players, but I don't know, I think Cazorla was a lot better in the second half of the season than at the start, whereas Jordan has been consistent throughout. And to be honest, if you took him out of the Ibar team, I think they would struggle much more than if you took any other player out because he's just the the sort of heartbeat of their central midfield. He can defend, he can attack, and that's the reason he's been linked with uh, clubs such as Arsenal. He's, he's an exciting player and we'll see what happens in the summer because I think he'll be off because he's that good. Yeah, I like the selection of Johnny, by the way. I think that's, you know, uh, someone who... We were talking about this on the on the pod earlier about verticalidad. I, I, I personally just love wingers who, who run at a defence and who can deliver as well. It's a bit of an old school art, perhaps, but I just sort of feel that sometimes in Spanish football, you don't get that many players who, who do behave like that and who have this sort of directness and quality to their play. So it's both the sort of intention of what they do and how they execute it. So I, I really I really like that. I can't really argue with, with much more of it, really. Um, in terms of my uh, team, I did at one point, and it's a little admission to you here, Mm-hmm. I did at one point not have Danny Parejo in because I wanted Neto in because I didn't want to go for Oblak. But then I thought, that's madness. How can I have uh, Neto and uh, someone else in midfield other than Parejo? So I was actually going to go Rodri uh, for Atletico. But then I just kind of go, well, but in terms of what they mean to their teams, Oblak and Parejo seems right. So I- I've kind of matched you on that. But this is my team mm-hmm. in full. Jan Oblak in goal. Uh, Jesus Navas as well. Uh, Obsevi, yeah, right back. Uh, Jonathan Silva, Bleganes at left back as well. Gené um, of Hetafe and um, Guillermo Maripan I've gone for from Alaves I just think that he's one of those players who um, I've just really seen step up this season uh, marshalled well uh, by Victor Laguardia I think that you know that's important often you need uh, a foil and, and, and often in, in teams you work in pairs don't you whether it's sort of left winger and, and, and left back or two centre backs or two central midfielders and I think that he, he really has had a, a step up this season and it's attracted attention from the Premier League as well um, then I've got uh, Santi Casola Villarreal and Dani Barejo in a holding two uh, so this is a 4-2-3-1 formation then I've gone Yago Aspas in what I think is perhaps a more orthodox position for him as opposed to right wing I've got him sort of inside right uh, of Celta Vigo then I've got Lionel Messi in the 10 role and then I've got Giovanni Lo Celso probably not ideal for him to be inside left but but I've kind of put him in there I think that he's had a significant season for Real Betis perhaps the one shining light for me and up front I've gone for the panda uh, Borja Iglesias uh, as I mentioned before I just think it, it was a, a stunning bit of business uh, especially losing Jara Moreno to Villarreal uh, well Espanyol didn't really miss him at all uh, so that is my 11 I am listening for your comments no I like it I, um, I do like Los Celso as well that's another one that um, if you're going to put a Betis player in he kind of has to be the guy and yeah you've got to find a place from somewhere uh, no Real Madrid player uh, I know mm. they've not had a good season <laughs> but they did still come third as their statement said when they sat Lopetegui do you know who I was actually um, I was actually tinkering with mm. have a little guess who do you think it's not Benzema but who else do you think I might have been considering maybe Vinicius yeah, well uh, he was one but he wasn't I think um, I don't know I kind of felt that he had impact, yeah. but he didn't have impact for a long enough period of time for to be considered a player of the season. But actually, it's someone else. I had a little data Regilon. Um, mm. Again, I, I kind of feel that maybe it just wasn't the prolonged impact because of the managerial changes, but that wasn't his fault. I think when he was given the chance to, to do something, I think he did it well. In the end, went for Jonathan Silva, but that was my, my thought. Um, just uh, another little question here. Uh, there's been lots of speculation, hasn't there, in terms of players coming into Real Madrid, Barcelona especially. But if there's one player, Ewan, that you would love to see move to La Liga this summer, who would that be? Yeah, there's there's going to be many that come and many that don't come. But if there's one I'd like to see, and this is maybe cheating a little bit because he's played in La Liga before, I'd like to see James Rodriguez come back. Oh, I, I know he didn't maybe always work out at Real Madrid. I know he's a kind of player you have to find an exact position for. He's a luxury player, you might say, but 
He's so good to watch and I'd love to see him come back, whether that's to Real Madrid and Zidane finds a place for him and, and his team, which I think is unlikely, or if he maybe moves across the city with some sort of complicated deal with Bayern Munich for Atletico Madrid to spend some of that Griezmann money and bring Hamas back to Madrid, a city he's known to like. I don't know, I, I just want to see him back in La Liga somewhere, even if he comes to Eibar, I'll, I'll sign off on that too. <laughs> I would love to see Paul Pogba show what he can really do and, and, and make an impact over not just a season, but over an era with, with a, a club like Real Madrid. Um, you just sense that, you know, he is uh, almost the complete footballer. Um, certainly as far as a midfielder is concerned, he has it all. It's just a case of whether he's got the right surroundings, uh, the right, I suppose, personnel around him to, to elicit that. But also I just think that, you know, he's the sort of person that really drags eyeballs to the league. And to have someone of his stature and his undoubted talent talent in La Liga I think would be very interesting indeed and it would be a real challenge because you know he is technically very 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 good can he live with with you know the league which is ultimately the most technically adept would, would you echo those thoughts yeah I think it would be interesting to see Pogba I don't know exactly how he'd fit into the Real Madrid team tactically um, I don't know how he'd fit in culturally as well I, I get the sense that a lot of the older Real Madrid season ticket holders Pogba is not going to be their favourite player but um, it's going to be interesting, it's going to create headlines, it's going to create stories and I'll definitely be up for that as well. Yeah, well we will watch with interest. Um, Ewan, uh, thank you so much for your, your sterling work over the season, really very much appreciated. Have a, have a great summer, I'm sure we'll be in touch in any case. For sure, it's been a fun one to cover. Uh, and thank you to all of you for listening as well. It's been a, a real pleasure making these podcasts. Uh, it's been our, our first uh, full season in existence. Uh, thank you for your support on Twitter as well. Uh, don't forget to, to check out our Twitter account. Our handle is at La Liga Lowdown. Uh, we'll continue to sort of monitor the fallout and all the reaction to the season gone by. And of course, as things progress uh, over the summer. Uh, thank you once again. That's your La Liga Lowdown. See you next time. was a Radio Stakhanov production. Spin your passion into a business of Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware.